Good morning and welcome to Grace Life. We're so glad that you guys could join us today. Um, something we love to do here um, is to just read and say the Grace Life welcome together. Um, just something that we uh, stand on as a church. Um, so together we'll say it, or if you just want to listen, um, this is for you today um, and this morning. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, 
to all who fall and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come. Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. Amen. We'll now have a time of worship. Good morning, guys. How you guys doing? There you are. I heard somebody over there. You guys want to stand with us? We're going to worship our God this morning. into love You are good and you are kind You bring joy into my life Oh, you make it easy to trust You have never left my side You've been faithful every time all I want is you, Jesus. All I want is you. Oh, you are the refuge I run to. You are the fire that leads me through the night. Follow you anywhere. There's a million reasons to trust you. Nothing to fear for you are by my side. I'll follow you anywhere. Oh, Jesus, you came to my rescue. The place upon that cross, you redeemed what I have lost. Now my whole world's revolving around you. You're the center of my life. You're the treasure. You're the prize. You're so. Whatever it costs me, 
Lord, all I want is you. Jesus, all I want is you. Wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, Lord, all I want is you. Jesus, all I want is you. Wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, Lord, all I want is you. Jesus, all I want is you. One more time. Wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, Lord, all I want is you, Jesus, all I want is you, because you are the refuge I run to, you are the fire that leads me through the night, I'll follow you anywhere, there's a million reasons to trust you. Nothing to fear for you all by my side. I follow you anywhere. I follow you anywhere. Oh, oh, oh. Follow you anywhere. Oh, oh, oh. Follow you anywhere. God, we just love you and praise you this morning, God, and all the craziness, God, is that not true this morning, guys? It seems like as Christians, we have been stuck, me personally, I've been stuck in this middle ground on choosing sides and everything that's been going on, on Facebook and on our news and how we just want to love everybody and God calls us to love and how hard it is that we've been getting, we're starting to get persecuted a bit as Christians as we're trying to just love on everyone that's around us and we either have to pick one side or the other when in reality, we just need to pick Jesus, Amen. I'm going to find this next song. When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to seal the joy I own when brokenness and pain is all I know, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I. Standing your love. When shame no longer has a place to hide, and I am not captive to the lies, I'm not afraid to leave my past behind. No, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I 
stand in your love, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love. This power that can break off every chain. This power that can empty out a grave. This resurrection power that can save. This power in your name. Power in your name. One more time. This power that can break off every chain. This power that can empty out a grave. This resurrection power that can say This power in your name. Power in your name. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I Stand in Thank you. 
pursuing them, Father, but that their eyes would be open, God, that you would use us to be able to minister to their heart and their soul, Father, through your word, that you would fill us all with the Holy Spirit as we go out and all this craziness, Father, that we would be able to offer the one true answer, and that is in your Son, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. 
was grace that sought my heart and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour that first my chains are gone, I think set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And back over His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope secures. He will my shield and portion as long as life endures. My chains are gone, I keep set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. No sun forbear to shine, but not You guys may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, church. Uh, for you that don't know me, I'm Courtney Wampler. I am one of the children's coordinators here. And I just want to say that kids, we miss you in the back. Um, but my heart is swelling by watching you guys worship in here with us and with your parents and um, as soon as we can get you back to um, learning with us, we will do that. But we, um, I'm so uh, rejoicing with the Lord and seeing you guys uh, with us in here. Our scripture for today is Isaiah 40, uh, beginning at 25 
through the end of the chapter. So if you will turn your device, your Bible, or it's on the screen. Isaiah 40, 25. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. He, his understanding is unsearchable. His, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. Thank you, Courtney. Well, good morning. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, I'm Tommy Clayton, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Life Church, and I'm grateful to be here today, and I already met a few new friends this morning. If I haven't had the opportunity to connect with you, I'd love to do that after the service here. Just a few housekeeping things that I forget um, to do every week. First of all, if you're watching from Facebook or from YouTube, um, welcome, guys. We miss you, and we're praying with you and for you. And we're grateful for the technology that enables us to, to worship together, even though we're, we're socially distanced right now, and uh, certainly support you in that decision to worship from home and to stay safe and to use common sense. Uh, but did want to greet you and also want to let everyone know who's here. Uh, we have a Connect card in the back if you feel comfortable. We're not printing any literature right now, but you're certainly willing if you want to fill out a comment card here, give us some feedback on the service, ask a question about baptism, about membership. Uh, if you have a counseling need, we can help connect you to our counselor, Melissa Affalter, who works with Fieldstone Counseling. Um, and also, if you're wondering how you can give, you know, we, we've never passed an offering plate here. I think we did the first year, uh, but we have a donation box in the back that you're certainly uh, welcome to give as God enables you, and we're thankful that our people are giving. Or if you're from home and you're wondering, you can go to our website and there's a tab up at the top that lets you know how you can give right now uh, via digitally. So why don't we pause for a minute and pray, and then we're going to jump right in to this amazing passage and this amazing book with an amazing message that God has for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the, the words we have already saying. We are forever yours. We belong to you. You have made that promise to us. You have sealed it in the, the very blood that your son shed on our behalf. You have absorbed the wrath and the fury and the justice of God um, on our behalf, Lord, so that we could enjoy the blessing and be a part of your family, be, be bought, be justified, be cleansed, be sealed, be filled, 
and, and be in your kingdom and in your family forever, Lord, and, and never run the risk of being kicked out or rejected, even though we feel that way sometimes, just like the people in this passage felt that way, Lord. We grow weary and fatigued and we get exhausted and we wonder what's going on, Lord. Has something changed in, a, in the dynamic of our relationship with you? I know a lot of people have felt that and a lot of people are feeling that right now in our country, uh, especially in, in, in Florida right now, Lord. And I pray that this message would encourage them the way that studying it and reading it and considering it has encouraged me and uh, the people from home as well. Be with us, Lord. Come and fill our hearts and our minds with divine truth. Remove anything that would hinder or distract us. Take us away from receiving this word from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 40. And today I'm going to talk about weariness. That's the title of the message, A Word to the Weary. Because that's the... Uh, that's the theme that I'm hearing from so many people right now and, and the circles of, of life that I walk in. And it's also the vibe that I'm picking up on from a lot of Christians, not just you, but other Christian leaders that I'm friends, work, friends with. I'm in a network of local churches together and talk to those pastors and leaders. And to a man, they're all saying not only are they struggling with growing weary, but it seems to be a common theme in the people um, and their congregations who are fighting to follow Jesus you know, when COVID-19 first hit way back in, when was that? March? February? I, don't, I mean, I can't believe it's almost July. That absolutely blows my mind that we're about to celebrate July 4th, doesn't it? You heard the time go. But rewinding the tape a little bit, back when COVID-19 first hit and the world went into lockdown, churches everywhere like ours were kind of scrambling. Like, how do we take our services online? How do we faithfully continue to shepherd people, provide resources for them, connect with them and counsel them? Um, and figure out a way just to, just to care for people and continue to, to be the church who exists for the outsiders during a pandemic. And back then, if people would ask me, and they did, how are you doing? I would say, man, I'm busy. I'm crazy busy, just like everybody else in the church. And you fast forward the tape, now it seems like we we're about to enter phase three of reopening, and then we step back, and I guess we're in phase two now, or maybe phase one, or who knows what the news is telling us to do, right? Now, if people were to ask me, how am I doing? I'm not crazy busy, even though I am, just like you probably are. I'm crazy tired. I'm crazy exhausted. If there's, and this is not a pastoral complaint. I'm just, you preach where you're at, right? Um, and I think maybe a lot of you are there too. You're fighting. If you're not weary, you're like, oh, I'm not weary. I'm doing great. I got Red Bull and everything. All right, great. Good for you, man. Drink your spiritual Red Bull and pity the rest of us. But I think a lot of people grow weary. That's a common theme in the Bible that God addresses, and he certainly addresses it here. So right now in America, we are in the middle of like three or four major, I would just call them cultural shifts or cultural earthquakes, and it's an election year. And that adds to the already weary, exhausted, apprehensive anxiety you know, that a lot of people are experiencing. So everyone has an opinion. How do we stop the pandemic? How do we fight for justice? How do we fix a broken system? How do we fix broken politics? How do we prevent an, an economic crash that people are saying is inevitable? How do we repair racial relationships? How do we live? And you say, oh, man, I got to come in here and hear that. I've been hearing it all week. Well, hang on for a minute. Here's the difference, guys. We don't check all the issues at the door. You guys know I don't politic in the pulpit here. And at the same time, we don't check 
and keep all of our issues at the door. God invites us to bring those issues in here and get his perspective. That's what we don't get during the week. That's what I never get. If I do tune into the news, I never get the perspective I'm going to give you today from the Bible, ever. I don't get it on talk shows. What I get wearies me. The perspective that I get literally wears me out and exhausts me and scares me, frankly. <laughs> like, okay, where's our hope at? It's in this expert or that expert or this system or this nation or this piece of science or this vaccine. Are you with me? That's where Israel was at. They had gone through the gamut of, tr of trust in the very beginning. You know, honest, I'll just be really honest. The very beginning of this COVID-19, believers were talking about God a lot. God's sovereign. He's wise. He's loving. He's good. He's faithful. He's just. He's with us. He's the real first responder. And then some weeks and some months went by, and then the numbers changed, and people started talking about flattening the curve, and, which is not wrong, okay? But that, was, that dominated the conversation. Flattening the curve, waiting on a vaccine, social distancing, this doctor, that doctor, this health expert, that health expert, this politician, that politician. It was almost as if there was a trust shift, a hope shift, because hope shifts follow trust shifts. And do you know what follows? What's at the very end? When you shift your hope and all where, where you're placing all your bets, when you move that and you shift that and it's not on God, do you know what follows that? I'll give you one word, weariness, exhaustion. When your hope and your trust shifts from God to any other thing, whatever it is, I can assure you that what is waiting for you there is fatigue, spiritual fatigue, and probably weariness and exhaustion and hopelessness and anger and frustration and a lot of other problems to go with it. That's exactly where Israel was. And I think, to, just to be honest, that's where a lot of Christians are. I talked to a guy in the deep south who met with a local pastor who's a great pastor, preaches the gospel, faithful to the word. This guy's got a great church. I've visited it. I visit the church, this church whenever I can, whenever I go there. And in some ways, we've modeled grace life after them. This conversation blew me away. He said, bro, I sat down with that pastor, and he looked across from me at the table. We were having coffee, and he said, 80 to 90% of my people right now, it seems like this is what he said. I don't want to doctor this up. He said, it seems like 80 to 90% of my congregation want nothing to do with following God right now. That blew my mind, man. That blew my mind. A good church, a great leader, biblically-based congregation, and he's saying 80 and I know pastors embellish. Gosh, we do that sometimes, don't we? They embellish and they you know, speak hyperbola. But he's basically saying the people who are wanting to follow Jesus, the people who show up, and listen to me preach, they're struggling. Another guy, locally here, another pastor, he told me, he said, man, I met with my leadership and I was asking them, how you guys doing? And one by one, they began to confess, you know what, pastor? It's been weeks since I've opened my Bible. Now, you know what that's code for, don't you? It's been months. <laughs> Pastors embellish and people hold back. When's the last time you read your Bible? A couple weeks ago. Last year? Yeah. <laughs> right? And with Bible prayer neglect, or with Bible reading neglect, usually comes prayer and the other spiritual disciplines. What in the world is going on? Well, there's a, there's a shift in hope, a shift in trust, and people are weary and they're fatigued and they're tired. It got really quiet in here. <laughs> I'm not scolding you. I want to help you. I want to help myself. Not in like a self-help kind of way, but in a better way. Like I want to help all of us take our, our hope and shift it back to the one uh, who has promised to deliver, the only one who can promise to deliver. That's what Isaiah is really all about.
I read this last week from Ray Orland. He said, if our purposes rise no higher than what we can attain by our own organizing and thinking, then we should change our churches into community centers. Wow, that's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> if we're just banking on our organizational power and cultural intelligence, man, we're in big trouble. <laughs> he goes on to say, but if we are weary... If we are weary of ourselves and our own brilliance, if we are embarrassed by our failures, then we are ready for the gift of power from on high. I like that. In other words, when you get good and desperate, God's ready. <laughs> God left the light on for you. He knows. He knows the path you're on and he knows the end of it is weariness and exhaustion. And there's some other dangers that await there too if you never turn back to God. But God left the light on for you. That's what Isaiah is really all about. And I will tell you this. Why am I touching my face so much? You know, when people tell you not to touch your face, do you have the same reaction? <laughs> when, I, when I pray and prepare a message, and I write the sermon, and I'm studying the scripture, and just asking, like, Lord, show me what you want me to say. I want to be faithful to this. I want to be faithful to them. One of the things I'm always doing is asking, like, the so what question. Like, if Isaiah was in that front seat, and I'm preaching the mess, this passage he wrote, and he's like, Either, no, you got it wrong. That's how prophets sound, by the way. Or he would say, so what? Get to the good part. So what? Here's what I'm always after. I want you to come to church, and I want you to leave with an understanding that you didn't come with. And, and it's really Psalm 73. That's one of my favorite psalms, and I've preached on it here. There's this, this guy named Asap, and he's, he's weary. He's exhausted, too. He's been looking around, and what he thought Following God would get him, it didn't get him. He sees wicked people who are prospering. He sees faithful people who are dying, suffering, being persecuted, and he's confused, and he's exhausted. And he says, it's, it's too painful for me. In fact, let me read what he says. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. In Hebrew, it's painful. It was too painful for me to even think about this out there. And then he said... Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood. <laughs> and I love that, man. And that's, I mean, depending on what week of the year it's in, I have a different verse for my, but that's always my go here. It's like, hey, it's not, hey, what did you feel when you were here? I hope you feel some amazing emotions and the Holy Spirit falls on us, man. And we, and, and we are filled with the Spirit and we are, uh, our minds and hearts are illuminated to the truth. And at the same time, I really hope that when you leave after that experience, you have understanding. You have gained an understanding. Because if you don't, I feel like in some ways I've failed you. Because that's what the Bible promises, to give you God's perspective, to give you understanding that you're not going to get out there. They can't give you that. All they can give you is a perverted, distorted version of good news. A bad gospel. So... Um, this book, Isaiah, and this chapter 40, and these verses specifically, um, it's all about arguing. Did you know that? Uh, and we're hearing a lot of arguing today in the world, aren't we? Even in some churches, do we open? Do we close? Do we go online, stay offline? How do we do this? How do we do that? I'm from the world. Arguments. This passage is about arguments. And I love the fact that God argues with us, not just for the sake of arguing, but to give us what that Psalm 73 says, so that we will gain an understanding but God's arguments usually come after ours. And that's what we find in this passage that Courtney read for us. God's people are arguing with him. 
And I told my wife either last night or this morning, I said, babe, this was written thousands of years ago, another place, another people, another time, another culture. And it's almost as if you just took it off somebody's blog <laughs> yesterday. It's amazing how relevant, how relevant and how practical the Bible is. Because here's their argument. Check this out. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? God, through Isaiah, is saying, why are you saying that? Why are you saying God doesn't see, God doesn't know, God doesn't care, God's not going to do anything anyway? You know that, let me give you a little context here, not long, just short. Isaiah is writing the people of Israel who have been in Babylonian captivity for decades. They've, they have virtually been in a cultural prison, a foreign hostile power that was unsympathetic to their worldview, didn't value their culture, didn't value their, their temple, their, their religion, any of that. They've been taken hostage by them and, and stuck in this culture that doesn't like them, and they're stuck there for decades. And they are tired. In the beginning, they were hopeful like we were, right? But now they're over it. Like a lot of people, I'm hearing that from. Hey, man, how you doing with this and that? I'm over it. I'm just over it. Well, they were over it. They're like, you know what? God doesn't seem to know. God doesn't seem to care. He's disregarded us. He's out to lunch. Who knows what's going on? Maybe the Babylonian gods are more powerful than Yahweh. I don't know. But what I do know is he seems like out to lunch. And even if he does see, and even if he does care, there's nothing he can do to help us. That's where they were, and they were arguing with God. And it's interesting because the same people who are arguing in verse 27 are the same people at the end of this passage who are weary and who are exhausted and who are faint-hearted because it's a spiritual weariness. They are lacking courage. They're lacking fortitude. They're lacking resolve. They've like given up because they think God's given up. Those two things follow each other. If you think God's not for you, then, man, you're done spiritually. How can you fight with a belief like that? You can't, and they didn't, and we won't either. And so God hears their argument, and he's, he's going to offer his own. But first, let's, let's look a little more deeply. It's interesting, by the way, um, verse 27, Why do you say, Jacob, and, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Uh, the verb tense there in Hebrew, it's just to geek out. It's imperfect, which means it's repetitive. It, 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 it is highlighting frequency. They didn't just say this one time. Everybody's saying it. It's like the whole culture saying this. Where's God? Why is he forgotten? He can't do anything. So that's like the cultural argument right there, right then in captivity for God's people. And I would just ask, can you relate to that at all? Have you ever been able to relate to that argument in your life? Or can you now? Because I'm hearing that and I'm feeling that and I'm just sensing, you know, pastors should have a knack to have their finger on the pulse of Christianity at large and particularly in their own congregation. It just seems like that's a struggle that a lot of people have right now. And God wants to help. They think that life is just going on without them. I grew up listening to Elvis Presley and is it Domino Fats or Fats Domino? One of them plays pool and the other one plays music. Which is it? Fast Domino, yeah. Walking to New Orleans, yeah. So I heard those two guys and Johnny Cash, man. He was always on vinyl in our living room growing up. My mom was stay at home when I was little. And man, I heard those songs over and over. And I love, I'm, I know, maybe not all of his songs are good, but a lot of them are. Uh, Johnny Cash. And he sang a song live at Folsom Prison. 
and maybe you guys are familiar with it. I want to read the lyrics because just some of the lyrics because it seems to be relevant to what they were going through. They thought life was just passing them by, man, and God had forgotten them. So Johnny Cash says, never thought I'd quote Johnny Cash, man, in church. I love it. I love it. I love this church, by the way. I love this congregation. You guys are, are really amazing the way you encourage me and let me quote movies and, and songs and stuff. So Johnny Cash says, I'm stuck in Folsom prison and time keeps dragging on. That train keeps on rolling down to San Antonio. And then he says this. I bet there's rich folks eating. He's talking about the train going by and he's behind bars. I bet there's rich. I'm not going to sing this, but I really want to. (laughs) I bet there's rich folks eating in a fancy dining car. They're probably drinking coffee and smoking big cigars. But I know I had it coming. (laughs) I know I can't be free. Those but those people keep a moving. And that's what tortures me. You resonate with Johnny Cash. If you can't resonate with Isaiah, at least maybe resonate with Johnny Cash. Okay? You're tired. You're exhausted. You feel like you're in captivity. You're in exile. God's forgotten about you, and you're done, and you're ready to give up. That's where they were, and so often that's where where we are. You're tired of waiting. You're tired of hoping. You're tired of God not listening or God not caring. My wife has a devotional that Paul David Tripp wrote. And listen, if you're looking for a good devotional, this is a good one. This is a really good one. And man, I see my wife reading this thing every morning. So you know what's good. She's stuck with it. So recently she shared this one. This is what Paul David Tripp says. Now I'm talking about the complaint that these people were reiterating to themselves. You know, we talk to ourselves and we listen to ourselves. Did you guys know that? You came to church to get this mind-blowing perspective, right? Earth-shattering. Did you know that you listen to yourself more than you do anybody else? So my question is this, what are you telling yourself? What message are you preaching to you? And this is what Paul Tripp said. We just never stop talking to ourselves. We never stop preaching some kind of gospel to ourselves. It is a gospel of aloneness, partiality, poverty, inability, of functional hopelessness. Is that what it is? Or is it the true gospel of Jesus Christ? A gospel of hope, mercy, forgiveness, Rescue, love, transformation of never being alone, of never being without help, of one who is near, of one who cares, of a beautiful forever, a wash in victory. We're always listening to what we're preaching. Today, what kind of gospel will you preach to you and what effect will it have on how you live? So the people in captivity were preaching a bad gospel to themselves. A bad gospel. You know what they were basically saying? There's no rest for the weary. Have you ever heard somebody say that to you? Have you ever said it yourselves or thought it? Can I, just, can I just tell you, I know I'm not like attacking one-liners and hashtags. That is a lie. <laughs> Don't you believe that for a minute, man. There is rest for the weary. But there's a particular condition for that rest that we're going to look at today. There's no rest for the weary. That's just as much of a lie as God helps those who help themselves. That's a false gospel. Both of those are. God helps those who are tired of trying to help themselves and have miserably failed. And there is rest for the weary in God alone, in Christ alone, right? Isaiah said that hundreds of years before Jesus ever even came on the scene. So they were preaching a bad gospel to themselves. God doesn't know. God doesn't see. God doesn't care. God can't help me any way. I've blown it. And they were emotionally dysfunctional. So you've heard their argument. And maybe you've 
that's been your argument before. You wouldn't raise your hand and say that, but maybe you're struggling with that right now. Are you ready to hear God's response? He's got a great response, man, and it's much better than the... You know, God's arguments are always better and more compelling and more hope-filled than our arguments. He, like, demolishes our argument, but he does it with a, an elbow on our ribs and, and, and a smile on his face and love. This is what God says. I want to back up one verse. There's a reason why I started with verse 25, because in this chapter... God is asking his people like 14 questions. Did you know that? God loves to ask questions. He loves to do that. That's so helpful to me when I read the Bible because I need to be questioned. Do you? I need to be interrogated sometimes. My, my beliefs need to come under the scrutiny and the gaze of God and the Word. Because God wants us to do a little inventory. <laughs> he does. He wants to say, okay, okay, you're tired, you're exhausted. I get it, but let's back up a little bit. What is it that you've been trusting in that has led to this? And how, has the, how have those things you've trusted in served you? How have they left you? All those idols, whether it's cultural, personal, religious, national, whatever it is, we all have idols, we all have blind spots, we don't even know we have idols. God does, and He questions us to dig and expose and to bring them to the surface, so then He could say, ah, oh, okay, here they are. We had smoke, and then we dug down, and we found fire, and then we found an altar of worship there, and then we saw those idols. Let's bring them up, and let's talk about your idols, and let's compare them to me. <laughs> Don't you love that? God does that. He digs, he questions, he brings up the false idols, and he mentions a lot in this chapter. We can't, I can't preach on the whole chapter. God mentions a lot of idols, and I just find it striking that the conversation Americans are having right now is so similar, because he, he talks about nations and rulers and politicians, and leaders. And then he talks about the, the cultural and religious idols, the false gods, the Babylonian gods. He talks about all those things. That's why I love chapter 40, because the very beginning, God says, comfort. Yes, comfort my people. The first 39 chapters were all about judgment and woe, and then all of a sudden, God shows up and changes the subject. That's what the gospel is. It's a shock. It's a surprise. There was judgment, and now there's comfort. God says it comfort yes comfort my people make way for the make way and make straight and flat the paths of the lord and then he starts talking about all these idols and exposes them and brings them to light and then compares them and within chapter 40 god mentions the nations and he says all these nations that you've trusted in assyria and egypt and now babylon he says they're a drop in the bucket they're dropping the bucket. Basically, God reduces these 14 or 15 questions to one question, and you see it in verse 25. Are you ready? Here it is. To whom then will you compare me? To whom then will you compare me? Man, that is the, that is the best question. If you're struggling with idolatry, and we all are most of the time, in ways maybe we don't even see that we need outside help to, to get to, that's what counseling really is, finding the idols, replacing them with Christ. That's the question. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. <laughs> Who can be compared with me? I love that. He's getting to the bottom of their beliefs. He's getting to the bottom of their problems. And then he starts mentioning things. Nations. He mentions leaders. He, he says, look, the Lord sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and all its inhabitants are like grasshoppers to him. I love that passage. Do you know why? Because I, 
I live in Florida now. When we got our first house in Holly Hill, have you guys ever, they look like locusts. I don't, maybe they are. They're like these big, they look like armored grasshoppers on steroids. Have you ever seen them? Now I'm told if you're into gardening and Marilyn Nugent can tell you this probably, those things are bad news, man. When you see them, if you're like, oh, that's cute. I want to hold it. And then you let it go. They'll reproduce and multiply and your garden is like gone, man. And when I, when I found those in the first house that we built in Holly Hill, my neighbor who was older, more experienced, she came over and she said, oh, uh, you need to squash that right now. And I'm like, no, I ain't squashing that. It's going to help eat the mosquitoes. And she said, it'll help destroy your yard. And she said, squash it. And she came over. You remember this, honey? Janet Chandler. She was like, Psh! and it was like all gory. I'm like, ew, gross. She said, you do that whenever you find them. So every time I read Isaiah 40, and that's exactly what God is kind of saying, is that he could do that. All these mighty, powerful experts that we trust in, God's like grasshoppers. And if I needed to, if I wanted to, squash. It's not a threat. It's just a reality check. God's like, why are you trusting in them over me? It's like the book of Job. You know, God gives all these arguments to Job. And he's like, have you considered behemoth? Have you considered Leviathan? Where were you when I created the world? And he talks about Leviathan. Some people think it's a T-Rex because of the descriptions. And he says, who can stand before mighty Leviathan? Job's like, oh, nobody can stand before that dinosaur. And he says, well, I made him. You know, I, I made that. <laughs> I created that beast. So why are you more afraid of him than me? Why do you respect him and are and more in awe of him and overwhelmed by him than with me? That's the argument that God is making in Isaiah. And I love that because their argument, God has received and heard, and now he's giving his argument. And he says, here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you some, some good theology. Now, I hope that word doesn't stick, scare you. Theology, theo, means God. Ology means the study or contemplation of. And God gives deep, rich, powerful, invigorating, energizing theology to these people who are wearied and exhausted. He talks about himself. And he says, who can you compare to me? And he says, let me answer that for you. Nobody. Nobody can compare to me, which means nobody can give you the help and the hope that you need, which means nobody can help you with your weary problem like I can. And then he just says, oh man, my clock went out. He, he says, uh, he says four things about himself, and that's not really an outline, but I, I do want to mention them. First of all, God says, and, and you can look at it in, uh, in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? This is how God responds to their argument. Our way is hidden from the Lord. He doesn't see. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. He's not going to act. And God basically says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Have Excuse me, I beg your pardon. Have you not been listening? Whose gospel have you been listening to? You haven't been listening to my gospel. And he says, the Lord is the everlasting God. That's theology. Like God is transcendent. There's a 25 cent word. You know what it means? God is above time and space. And you think, oh great, that's exactly what I thought. God's not here. No, that's not what he means. He's saying God's not affected by your crises the same way you are. But that does not mean God's not there. It just means he's not shaking and trembling and exhausted in your timeline the way you are. right? So God has something to bring down into your timeline. Just check it out. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Don't you love that? He's transcendent. He's everlasting. He's eternal. And he's also the source of everything you see. 
He's the creator of the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. So, so check this out. God is in all places, in all times, for all people with unlimited resources. Do you know what that means? Sarah and I were talking about that again this morning. You know what it means? God is the only real first responder. Did you know that? You, you're in a crisis and you're like, man, I got to call God. He's already there. He was there before you got there. There is never a time, a place, a crisis, an emergency that you're going to go to that God's not already there with all the resources that you need to work through that. Never a time. Not possible. I don't care where it is. Babylonian exile, intensive care unit, a courtroom custody battle, whatever it is, wherever you're at, doesn't matter. God's already there. Whether you're in line to get unemployment or your business is about to tank, or whether it already has, or whether you got your testing results back and it's like, dude, you're positive and you've got suppressed immune and you're really scared. God was in that crisis before you ever even got there. Guys, that's so important to hear because you're not going to hear that out there. That's biblical truth. That's gospel truth. And that's so helpful for exhausted, weird people who feel alone already and on their own. Like, I guess I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps. No, you don't. Who's telling you that? You're not getting that from this. You don't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's the reason you got here to begin with, exhausted and wearied and faint-hearted and lacking courage and weak. That will Listen, embracing all those cultural, personal, religious idols will wear you out so fast. Because you know what false gods and idols do, don't you? Idolatry, that's the language of sacrifice and worship. You serve idols. You serve them. They don't serve you, ever. They take and they don't give, and man, will they take. They will take everything you've got. If your functional Savior is your career, Tim Keller is such a helpful pastor when I think about idolatry. He, he planted Redeemer Church in downtown Manhattan in 1989 and was there for 30, 35 years, just recently retired and was diagnosed with cancer. But he talked about the functional idols. He said, people come to New York City all the time to pursue their career. To pursue their career. And he said, and that career wraps itself around their throat and begins to squeeze and destroys everything in their life. Relationships, money, meaning, purpose, hope. It will kill them. He said, there's so many cultural idols in this city. This is a powerful city. And people come here to get power. And, in the, and, and somewhere in the process, they lose power. And they lose hope, and some of them lose their life and just give up. Because that's what idols will do. They will take and not give. They will bleed you out. They'll take your money. They'll take your time. They'll, they'll wreck your family. Show me something other than God that people have based their entire life on, and show me how that ends with a happy ever after. It doesn't. It can't. It can't. Because the moral fabric of the universe that God created you, it's, like, it's like jumping off a cliff and thinking something other than you splattering on the ground is going to happen. And don't be telling me you've got a parachute. <laughs> there are no parachutes with idolatry. There's just a terrible ending. Like a, a Grimm Brothers fairy tale. Does that make sense? That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> anyway, the Grimm Brothers version is always bad, right? So is idolatry. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of this passage, he says this, so who is like me? Who holds a candle to me, says the holy. I loved Eugene Peter. You, you know, he wrote, the he didn't write the Bible. He translated from Hebrew 
into a modern um, translation that's called the message. Some people have a problem with that. I don't. I'm thinking any way we can get the message of the Bible into people's hands that don't like reading thee and thou and whithersoever, that's fine, okay? If you're into the thee, thou, whithersoever, that's great too. But a lot of people, in fact, most people probably aren't. So let's put a translation in their hands, even though it's a, a paraphrase. Anyway, that's another, I didn't intend to say all that. Eugene Peterson's got a, a version of the Bible called The Message, and I love it. And he tells the story about the time he was translating Isaiah, which is, I don't know, if you know anything about the Old Testament, Isaiah is some of the densest uh, Hebrew vocabulary. You will have a very hard time translating Isaiah. He's like, he's like a, the poet of the Old Testament, and, and he could beat you at Scrabble. Okay, I'll put it that way. He's got words in Hebrew nobody else uses. So anyway, he's working through Isaiah, and uh, Bono from U2, you guys know who that is, don't you? Bono reads his translation of Psalms, which had been published years before, and he was blown away. He's like, man, who is this guy? I got to meet Eugene Peterson. I want to meet him. So he's this Irish rock star of a band, celebrity, and he calls up his, he has P, his PR, call up Eugene Peterson, because Eugene Peterson doesn't have a PR. He's a pastor. You know? And he says, hey, uh, Bono from U2 wants to meet you. And Eugene Peterson says, uh, well, I'm pretty, I'm really busy right now. And he says, busy doing what? And he said, I'm, I'm translating Isaiah into modern uh, language. And he said, but bro, did, did you under, did you hear what I said? Bono wants to come and meet you. He said, bro, bro, this is Bono. And to which Peterson, not Andrew Peterson, uh, Eugene Peterson said, bro, this is Isaiah. <laughs> Don't you love that? I got a feeling that Eugene Peterson was right thick smack dab in the middle of this chapter. Maybe he was translating this line to who then will you liken to me? Bono? I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> you don't hold a candle to God and neither does anybody else or anything else, any other created thing. Second fiddle to God. Third, fourth, tenth fiddle to God. But I love that story. And throughout this chapter, Isaiah has been comparing all the cultural and religious and personal idols to God and showing how they differ, how they can't offer you anything they take and he gives. They weary you and he replenishes and renews your strength. In fact, it's really humorous. If you Just for a second, man, let's, let's humor ourselves here. Because the Bible's funny sometimes. You, you know, you got to know that these guys that are writing this, when God gives them like a zinger to put in, just to relate to their people, that's awesome. Check this out. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compares with him? An idol! Explanation mark. An idol! A craftsman cast it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple over or that will not move, it says in ESV. Cheer what he's saying. He goes, hey, just, just so we're on the same wavelength, guys. I just want to tell you about these objects that you're fashioning and forming in the images of me. Just so that we're clear, you have to go and get somebody who's skillful to build them and put them together and mold them and carve them. And you have to use wood because it would really be embarrassing if your God rotted. Right? That'd be, that'd be humiliating. And, and you have to attach silver chains to them so that nobody steals your God. That'd be terrible. <laughs> and then you have to get somebody that really knows what they're doing with the balance on the bottom because if your God toppled over, that'd be embarrassing too. You see, do you get the humor there? He's like poking them a little bit. He's saying, hey, let's, let's talk about your gods versus me. 
you got to carve them out of gold so they don't rot, and you got to get somebody who knows what they're doing so they don't fall over, and you got to put chains on them so nobody steals them. How's them idols working out for you, by the way? <laughs> don't you love that? God says, all those things you've been serving, your career, your health, your beauty, your image, how those working out for you? Let's talk about it. I love that about the Bible. I love that. People think we're in stained glass prisons and we got hay in our hair and we're not in touch with reality. Oh, we're in touch. More in touch than a lot of people out there may be. Because God knows our heart. He knows how they function and he wants to help. God is incomparable. He's incomparable. So I know I'm running out of time here and we got some more things to do. Um, so real quick, let me finish up here. And back in verse 20. Five, when he says, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? He says something really strange and interesting. For, I, I found this strange because he's about to quote the argument that God doesn't see, God doesn't hear, God doesn't know. He's forgotten us. He's written us off. He's too busy. He's so high up. He's so transcendent. And then God responds with this. He says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. And he's talking about stars. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So God's countering their argument, and he's talking about stars. That's kind of interesting to me. And I don't know if you guys keep up with, uh, I started to say NASCAR, NASA, different, different entity. I don't know if you keep up with the latest with NASA, but recently they released footage of the sun our star the sun because we're in a heliocentric uh universe or galaxy or whatever it is um and it's the highest the clearest the less pixelated image of the sun on video that i've ever seen and, and seriously i don't know some weirdo made this and he put it to the sound beat of of this navajo drum beat and for 23 minutes this thing played i was studying to this last night my family uh, went somewhere and I was studying and it's like, doom, doom, doom. and I'm watching this footage of the sun and it's like, I'm worshiping God, not the sun. I'm worshiping the God who created this because this verse here says all the stars in the world, not just our galaxy, not just our solar system in the world. God created those stars. He, this is military language. He's their commander in chief. He marches them out and he knows them all and he names them all. And it says not one is missing. Did you know that scientists now tell us there are over 100 billion galaxies? Does that blow your mind like it does me? If it doesn't, maybe this will help. Within those 100 billion galaxies, in each of them, there are 100 billion stars. So how many stars are there? And we're learning the number keeps getting bigger. Kind of like COVID, right? The number keeps growing. So what's 100 billion times 100 billion? Go ahead and pull your iPhone out and do the math. No, don't. I'll do it for you. It's 21 with 22 zeros after it. I just, I just love the Bible, man. I just love... And hey, uh, do we have an image? I, I, I pulled an image out to show you of this video. I did a, still, a, a screenshot of it just to show you. Oh, man, we don't have it, do we? That's okay. Um, it's, it's something else. Did you know that you can fit 1.3 million of our planet Earths? 1.3 million Earths will fit inside the sun. Or you could take all the planets. And which planet is like super big? Which one? Jupiter? Like massive, right? 
you guys need to check your pastor, man. Make sure I'm not pulling your tail or, or pulling your chain. Sorry. Um, all of our planets, all eight, because Pluto's apparently not a planet anymore, right? All eight of our planets, you could fit inside the volume of the sun 600 times. And it's, again, it's, we're a heliocentric. Did you know that the sun, we talk about the moon having gravitational, the sun is in the center and everything orbits around the sun. So the sun has this massive gravitational pull on all the planets and all the moons out there and all the asteroids and all the comets. So if the sun like got messed up or whacked out a little bit, we could like all fry or we could all freeze. It keeps eight planets in the right orbit, over 170 moons and countless asteroids and comets. 1.3 million Earths. All I'm saying is, guys, that's one star. That's one star does all that, and God created it. I mean, it would be if if the Bible just said the sun that's in the galaxy of the Milky Way that uh, keeps the Earth in orbit. I created that and I sustain it. I'd be like, Lord, command me. But <laughs> that times 21. I, I'm, my mind's blown. And why is God? They didn't even know all this like we do. I mean, this is just a whisper. They just know what they see up there, which you can see like 5,000 stars on any given night, I'm told, if you're outside city limits. And that would be enough for them. But we have a much fuller picture, right? And God is saying, can, can you compare me to any? I mean, I did that. I did that. Not only did I create that and spin that into existence, I know every single star by name. There are more stars than human beings can even come up with names for. What's odd about that is, this is God countering the argument he's about to list by people that said, you don't even know, you don't even see. It would almost sound like God saying, yeah, I'm so out there, I'm so transcendent, I'm so eminent and powerful. Um, but he uses the star argument. But he says in verse 25, the very end, excuse me, verse 26, not one is missing. All those stars, 21 with 21 zeros after it, and God says not one is missing. If not one of those stars escapes God's notice, what does that tell him about? What does that tell you about you being one of his people? Doesn't he say you're of much more value than a sparrow and a galaxy and a unit? God cares more about you than any of those stars. Not one of the hairs on your head goes unnumbered or misnumbered. Or if you're like me, that's no chore for God, right? To number my hair. But seriously, I mean, guys, that's the argument he gives. He's incomparable. He knows. He understands. He cares. He's going to act. He's going to deliver. He has unlimited resources. And, and check this out. Unlike all the idols that have failed you and depleted you and sucked you dry, God's willing to share. God is willing to share his resources with you. In fact, they're for you. <laughs> they're for you. God doesn't see you as a victim. He sees you as more than a conqueror in Christ. That's how God sees you. So how are you viewing yourself? Tired, wearied, exhausted? Much more to say here, but I just want to say one more thing. The last part of God's argument. The last part of God's argument, let's look at it. Uh, it's in verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? And then we get into the weariness. He does not grow faint or weary. Now you're going to hear both of those words together individually and then another word thrown in in Hebrew eight times throughout the rest of this passage. Eight times. God's on to something here. He does, this, this incomparable God who's listened to your argument and created the stars and not one of them is missing and he knows and he sees and he cares. 
This God has unlimited resources. He does not grow weary. I didn't, I didn't get to unpack this last week. Psalm 121, it says, He who keeps Israel does not sleep and he does not slumber. You know, you spend a third of your life in bed and then you die. <laughs> That's some good news for you this morning, isn't it? A third of your life, man. Or maybe you're like me. You're like, I've spent a fourth or a fifth of my life. I only need four and a half, five hours. Well, you still curl up in a fetal position and suck your thumb every night. You know why? Because God wants to remind you you're not him. Don't you love that about God? Hey, just in, just in case you forgot that you're not me, stay awake for a week. <clears throat> I've been told if you try, some people have tried to make, break the Guinness Book of World Records with, with sleep deprivation, and you know what happened to them? They died. You know why? Because you weren't meant to go without sleep, bro. <laughs> you can't. But God can, and He does. He has unlimited resources. He's not asleep on the job. He's not forgotten about you. And he wants to share those resources with you. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth grow faint and grow weary and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Don't you love that? God says, I don't care how, okay, okay, you're not weary. Let's say you're not weary. You will be. <laughs> Even young men, don't you love the way he argues? Because there's people that are like tapping their toe and crossing their arms. Even young men grow weary. Hey, take the best, most vibrant, spirit-filled Christian out there. You're going to have a day. <laughs> you are. And the physical realm tells, I, I helped somebody move yesterday. And there was a young man there who was 25. I drank four bottles of water in three hours and never went to the bathroom. I'm not trying to be gross, but that's how hot it was yesterday. I had to stop frequently for water breaks and to rest my tired arms. And I'm only 45, but there was a kid there and he was 25. And man, he was like unstoppable for about two and a half hours. Because <laughs> you know what? Even young men grow, grow weary, don't they? And grow faint. And when they do, God says, I left the light on for you. Come on in. Everybody who's weary... This argument should sound really familiar to you as a New Testament Christian. Do you hear this? These are just echoes and whispers of something greater. Do you know what it is? Do you know the invitation that God gave to us through Jesus? What did he say? Have any of you committed that? You can say it out loud. It's in Matthew 11. Amen. All who are weary, come to me. And you who labor... Isaiah is going to say another version of this later in chapter 55. Why do you spend your bread? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which is not satisfied? That's Isaiah's message. And it's, by the way, guys, I'm all over the place today. I'm really sorry. <laughs> by the way, and have you thought of this? And look here. <laughs> You're like, preacher, focus. <laughs> I came with a shotgun today and I should have brought a rifle. I get it. Did you know that Isaiah is Jesus' favorite prophet? He preached his first sermon from Isaiah 60, and it got him almost thrown off a cliff. <laughs> There's a lot of gospel truth in Isaiah, guys. Study it. It's a great book. But Jesus, you're right, Bree. Later, Jesus in Matthew 11 would say, hey, are you weary? Are you tired? Are you tired of doing life on your terms? All the way back to the garden. What was, what was the, great, uh, the great sin of humanity? They stood before the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they said, I'm going to choose good and evil on my terms. I'm going to choose wisdom on my terms. I'm going to live life on my terms instead of God's terms. 
And God says, that's not going to go well for you, but go ahead. And man, aren't we repeating that all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, and then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you're tired. You're tired spiritually, you're tired physically, you're tired emotionally, you're tired culturally, all of those things. And he says, and I'm the answer. I have the strength that you need if you wait on me and if you hope in me. See, that's the condition. Check it out. Last thing he says here. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. I'm, I'm told in Hebrew that word renew means exchange. There's a change that happens. God says, tell you what, take your exhaustion and your burden and your sin and your guilt and you put that on me and I'll give you blessing and strength and forgiveness. Forget your idols. They're not going to help you. They're done. And you're done if you stick with them. Throw your idols away. I'm incomparable. I've got resources I want to share with you. Let's trade. Let's exchange. If you wait, what's that word wait mean? It doesn't mean twiddle your fingers and do nothing. It means you're wrestling with God. People don't, they're like, oh, I knew it. I knew there was something to do. Well, listen, guys. God wants us to sow, right? Even in the New Testament in Galatians 6, he says, do not grow weary in doing good, but those who sow and hope shall reap a harvest. There's still work to be done, but you don't do it hopelessly. And for the idols, you do it with the Lord and for the Lord. That's what this passage is talking about. That's what it means to wait. It's interesting that God uses, uh, in verse 27, look, he says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? You know what he's, you know what he's doing? He's, he's putting them back. He says, look, you're acting like victims here. You're forgetting that you belong to me. Remember, I made a covenant with your great-great-granddaddy, Jacob. And he also wants to encourage them. And Jacob was some character. <laughs> His very name means usurper, trickster, huckster, deceiver, right? And God says, I turned Jacob into Israel. I turned, I turned a, a usurper into a prince. And the, the name Israel means to strive with God, to wrestle with God. And God is saying, as you wait on me, I want you to worship me. I want you to wrestle. I want you to fight for joy. I want you to hope in me. That's what he's saying here. And he says, and when you do that, I will renew. I'll exchange your weariness for my power and my strength. You know, I hate church marquees. Hate's a strong word, but I really do hate most of them because most of it is a false gospel. You know what I'm talking about? Those, those signs in the yard, most of them are just garbage. But I saw one a long time ago, and I actually liked it. And it said... And, trying to remember exactly what it said it was like tired weary exhausted uh don't don't ask god to don't ask god to take the, the load ask him to strengthen your back i'm sorry man does that make sense it, it was basically saying why don't you ask god for strength so often we're like will you fix this will you take this will you correct this and god says what you really need is strength and if you would ask me i'd give it to you because i've got a whole bunch i've got like a bank account and when you know, if God were to do an interview and it asked for your salary, he, he would say there's not room in there to put all the zeros. I've got an inexhaustible, indefatigable amount of resources to lavish and enrich my people with. It's just waiting for you. And look, it will give you liftoff. You'll mount up. I love how he, how he says there's like progress here. Not progress. There's like God will meet you where you're at. He says... The Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. The message here is wherever you're at. Maybe, maybe you're walking right now. You're plodding along and you're, you're fatigued. Or maybe you're like 
think you're flying and, and you've landed, you've crashed, God will meet you wherever you're at. Or maybe you just say, Lord, I just want to crawl. Or, <laughs> or maybe you've got a baby right now that, that I can barely remember when they can't crawl yet. But man, it's, it's nice, isn't it? You don't have to baby-proof everything. They can't move. All they can do is roll. Maybe that's where you're at and you're like, Lord, would you just come and help me roll? God says, I can do that. Some of you need to roll. Some of you need to crawl. Some of you need to walk. Some of you need to run. And some of you are ready for liftoff. And listen, the key to the power to do that rests in you coming to God. And maybe it's going to require repentance and you acknowledging, okay, my argument doesn't hold a candle here. I know it's been there's been idolatry in my life. I've been, there needs to be a trust shift back to the one true incomparable God in Christ. If that's where you're at this morning, I just want to, we want to close with prayer and with a time of reflection, our Selah moment here, just for you to stop and ponder what you've heard, ponder the message of Isaiah, ponder the message of, of, of Jesus and say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm exhausted. I'm wearied. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I've brought myself here by the things that I've trusted in and followed after and hoped in. And God has a better plan for you. And he is ready right now. There is nothing stopping you from coming back to God except you. So stop preaching that false gospel to yourself this morning and say what Isaiah says. God is ready. He's got strength. Are you ready to receive it? He has it for you. He would love nothing more than to give that strength to you because he gets glory from that. He is a giving God his favorite thing to do. We pray with me, band, you can come, worship team. Lord, thank you so much that we have these amazing promises that are all made possible because of Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, bring conviction, bring clarity, make this truth come alive. It's just ink on paper and words spoken through a microphone without your spirit to come, God, and do that. Help us just as we reflect now before uh, we recognize a, a new lay elder at our church, a very exciting Sunday morning, Lord. I pray we would all take time to just reflect and pray about the message we've heard and how you might want to use that in our life, wherever we're at, whatever level of exhaustion we have suffered from or we're about to enter into, Lord. There's a big question mark over what the next few weeks and months and years maybe are going to look like for us as a nation, but it doesn't matter. Lord, we still have this promise. It's unequivocal. It's unconditional. And we're thankful for that. So help us to just reflect now and pray, repent, confess, and come back to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, listen, we got our prayer team, Bill and Christy, at the back with Cliff. And if you need to pray with somebody, you need to pray like, I'd love to pray for strength, renewed strength, renewed hope, but I'd love to pray with somebody. You can go do that right now with them. I'll be back there too. Or if you just want to sit quietly in your seat, if you have a question, you need counseling, we're here for you. You take this time, and then I'll come back, and we want to make some exciting announcements.
stand down here for the next part of our service because today is a really special day in the life of Grace Life because we are going to uh, recognize what we believe God is leading our church to do. You know, we, a while back, actually before COVID-19 hit, we were in the process of adding new lay elders to our church. Our congregation's growing and the needs for shepherding and help are growing and God is bringing people and training them up and growing them up and, and we wanted to um, invite our congregation to nominate men in this congregation uh, whom they believe have uh, 
qualifications that are in keeping with 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, men who are faithful, men who lead their families well, men who are not given to enslaving addictions. And, and we talked about that. I think we spent two services talking about what are the qualifications for an elder because uh, a biblical model for, for church government is what the Bible calls lay elders. It, and it's what I call plurality of elders, meaning I'm not the top dog in charge of this church. I'm not, and I don't want to be. I, I would not want to bear that burden. Some churches have one person that are smaller, and uh, man, it's hard. It's a challenge. I think a, a model of church leadership that more accurately reflects the New Testament is called lay elders. And in the Bible that, that teach that, do we have some of those slides, Matt, that we can pull up? This is what Paul said, writing to Timothy, excuse me, Titus, uh, who was on the island of Crete, planting churches there. That's what he said. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So here's, here's the uh, ramifications for a verse like that. Until you appoint and install elders into a church, there will be some order that is lacking. And so we have tried to do it. We're in our sixth year, and we have uh, operated with a plurality of elders for the last two years. And man, I can just tell you as a leader, I have felt the blessing of that. Uh, Joe Nugent and Steve Ekman have served alongside of me, and it has been a tremendous encouragement and tremendously helpful. And you guys have seen and felt and experienced their love, their shepherding. But you know what? Our church is growing, and we need more lay elders. And now Joe Nugent uh, is going to be on his way out. He's moving closer to family. I'm praying and trusting. We'll see him again, maybe in a few years. But he wants to be with his family and invest in his grandchildren right now. And so we have even of a more need to replace Joe. And so here's what we did. I, I want to read this. I hope this doesn't seem overly uh, business or administratively, but I want you to know we have bylaws at this church, and I want to do my best to honor those bylaws. I'm not operating in rogue. I'm not some maverick church pastor that's just doing what he wants to do. There's a system here, and I want, and I want to honor that. So here's what our bylaws say about adding lay elders to the church. After the initial elders are named by the lead pastor, and that was set up two, two years ago when Joe and Steve came on board, future vacancies will be filled by the process of a nomination review committee recommending individuals to the elder board. The nomination review committee shall consist of the lead pastor and at least two church members appointed by the elder board. That committee shall solicit nominations from the congregation's members compile a list of potential candidates, and conduct interviews. They shall then prepare a list of those persons most qualified and willing to serve as elders. The elder board will make a decision based on this input. Elders who are approved by the elder board will be affirmed by the church members through an I-9. <laughs> uh, sounds Irish and ancient, doesn't it? Uh, through an I-9 verbal vote at a time to be announced in advance. So that's what we did. Right before COVID-19 hit, we had been talking about this, and we established um, a nomination review committee, which was a diverse group, some old, some young, some male, some female, some single, some married. We tried to be as diverse as we could, trusted members who were involved in our church, and we said, look, will you receive nominations for the next lay elder candidates from our members? And they did. And that nomination review committee processed all those names, prayed, they conducted interviews, and during that time, we also invited you, our church family, to pray over those names. 
and consider those names. And if there were any concerns or questions that you felt needed to be brought to the attention of those candidates and, and us as leaders, bring them to the table, express them. And I'm happy to say for, for the names that were put forward and the one, the one name that we came down to, uh, no, no concerns were expressed um, at all, which is really rare and really a blessing too. So we have tried as best we could to honor that process. I probably could have done a better job of communicating that when COVID-19 hit. I think lay elders kind of went to the margin and we were scrambling to try and figure out, right, how we're going to get our services online, so on and so forth. But I want you to know that the nomination review committee put Cliff Patterson's name forward, thumbs up, and the elder board, myself, Joe Nugent, and Steve Ekman prayed, talked about it at length. We met with Cliff together. I met with Cliff several times. We had a few talks on the phone. We talked about vision. We talked about mission. We talked about family. And man, I'm just really excited to say that we're at the point in what our bylaws say to uh, the elder board has decided to put Cliff Patterson Ford as a lay elder candidate for our church. And the next step in this process is for him to be brought in front of the church for a verbal vote. Now, I want to say this about that. And I'm just, I want to be so honest with you today, okay? So you can, everybody always perks up. I grew up going to weddings uh, when it was really more traditional and more old-fashioned than it is today. And they would always say this right before this couple who was about to be united together. They'd been dating. They'd been courting. They'd been under the supervision of parents. They'd been under the watchful eye of their peers and, and friends. And, but this question was always asked at the, right before the service. You remember what it was? If there's anybody here that for any reason believes this, this man and this woman should not be united, let him speak so now or forever hold his peace. That was always weird to me. I thought, really? <laughs> We're about to have the wedding? And like this would be the time that somebody would say, I always thought that was weird. And in some ways, when I read this, it sounds like that. But I also know this, in the same way that we are bringing Cliff forward for you to say I, which is yes, or nigh, which is no, I also know that there's been a courtship. Cliff and Bree have been at this church, really, brother, what, the first month we planted, you guys were here, weren't you? And have been here, and not only have just been here, like they show up, and they've got a warm body and a pulse, they have served, they have invested, they have taught, he's even preached for me. They teach our children in the back. They help lead and head up our prayer team. They do counseling. Uh, I just they're and they're very deeply involved and embedded into the life of this church. And in that time, we have watched them. I've seen him with his children. I've seen him with other families. And then when he was brought forward and his name was was uh, put forward and nominated, we invited you to interact. So in a, in a sense, I feel like today's a wedding, and this I and I is uh is us saying like, hey. Let's affirm what God, I believe, has already shown us. But at the same time, I want to honor this. And if there's anybody that for any reason has any reservation, you can express that by your nigh. So, brother, come on up here. And, and Bree, you come with Cliff. Let's do that together. And I've never done an I and I before. So this would be, this would be fun. <laughs> I don't even really know where to begin with it, but we'll do it. <laughs> um. Maybe I could do the, oh, hear ye, hear ye. Um, I just want you to know I love this family. I love this man. I could not be more excited um, for God to bring Cliff and Bree. And, and Cliff is serving as the lay elder, just so you know, not Bree. But she definitely is going to be a part of that. We believe that the Bible is very clear about 
who the candidates are for an elder and the qualifications that they meet. And I believe he meets and in some ways some of those surpasses them. He's got a very tender heart, a very tender conscience. So today I bring Cliff before you uh, as, as a, a church family for you to say I or nigh for him to be installed and affirmed and recognized as a lay elder of Grace Life Church. So if you are in favor of Cliff Patterson serving as a lay elder of Grace Life Church, would you affirm that with an I? I. And if, and, if, and if any want to express other, you can do so with a nigh, and we'll talk about that at this time. All right. Well, glory to God. <laughs> so here, here's what the Bible tells us to do. And you can do that from home if you want to, however you want. You can even, you know, put your hand in the air, lay it on the screen, whatever you want to do. But I know with, with some of the numbers spiking with COVID-19, some people are a little more uneasy about laying hands on people. So normally what we would do is we would ask our whole church, whoever feels comfortable, come down here and we want to lay hands on this brother and we want to pray over him. If you have misgivings about that, I don't know, you may have misgivings about that. <laughs> like keep your germs to yourself. If, if, if you want to, you're invited to do that. If not, I'm going to ask Steve. I've already made sure he's okay with it. Um, he's our other lay elder and we're going to lay hands on Cliff and I'm going to pray on behalf of our church family for, for God to anoint this man, to bless, really to continue to bless his ministry. And we are recognizing what we believe God has done uh, and establishing him as a lay elder in our church. And you'll hear more from Cliff in the future. He's going to share his testimony and share a word with us soon. Um, I could say a lot more, but I think that's where I want to stop for now. So if you want to come down and join us, I'm going to lay hands on Cliff now and we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love and your care over your church. Lord, the church is your body. You are the head. We are the body. You are the chief shepherd, and we are the sheep of your pasture. You are the, the cornerstone, and we're the bricks in the building. You are the groom, and we're the bride. And Lord, we feel our dependency on you, uh, our need for you, and we're, we're so grateful you made a promise to the church that you didn't make to any other organization. You said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then you gave us order, Lord. You gave us instructions on how to govern your church. And part of that instruction is what we're doing today. We want to honor the instructions and the pattern you already gave us. And we want to install lay elders, Lord, trusted men who are filled with the spirit and who meet the qualifications, who are going to help shepherd your church and lead your people. And I'm thankful that you have put Cliff Ford as, as a man to do that, along with Joe and Steve and myself. And so we recognize him today, Lord, and we, we thank you for that and for his sweet and amazing wife, Bree, for their beautiful family, for their children. We pray your hand will be upon them. No doubt, Lord, this puts him in the crosshairs of the enemy and will bring with it uh, new temptations, uh, new front to fight the battle. But we know with it comes fresh strength from you and a reminder that to put the armor on Lord. And, and uh, for this church, I ask that they would lift Cliff up, pray for him. The Bible calls us to obey elders, Lord, to follow elders as an example of, of who Christ is, to look to them for, for a, a pattern of what it means to, to follow Jesus. And so strengthen him, Lord, and strengthen us all. And I lay my hands on him today and ask for your power to fill him and his family, Lord. And we're anticipating the amazing things you're going to do through him, Lord, and in him to us. And we thank you for that and pray all these things in the, in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Cliff, welcome to the family, brother. We love you, man. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir.
All right, you'll hear more from him at another time. But I think Megan has some announcements for us to close this out. Okay, awesome. Just three things for you today. Um, the first thing, I just wanted to give you an update on um, the Summer Women uh, Knowing God event. Um, it's Tuesday, uh, July 7th from 7 to 8.30, and it will be hosted um, at Wendy Hart's home in DeLand. Um, there will be an email going out with specifics and address for their home. Um, with us being on live stream, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to broadcast uh, her address, but if you are interested in knowing those specific details, um, of her, um, her home. And then also I just wanted to let you know, there will be an option to join online. If you're not exactly comfortable gathering at this time, um, there will be some logistics, like I said, going out in that email. So, um, if you're subscribed to our, um, email, um, for the church, you'll get that. But also if you want to be connected specifically for all women knowing God contact in our church center app, um, when you go to groups, you'll see women knowing God, you can subscribe to that group. And there's lots of great resources that Melissa Affalter sends as well. So if you want just some extra um, content and things for women um, and specifically for the women knowing God group, I highly suggest you get on the app and um, subscribe to the women knowing God group as well. Secondly, we have our uh, tech team training, which is Sunday, um, July 12th. If you are interested in serving with the tech team, um, get with uh, Diane Hendricks. Uh, her email is serving at gracelifeflorida.com. Um, you can RSVP to this uh, training and uh, also, if you want more information on what it looks like to serve with the tech team before you come to training, um, she can give you all that info. And then lastly, every Sunday um, at 9.30 in the morning, um, a group of our prayer team gathers right in the back here before the service in the auditorium behind this screened area. If that's something that you're interested in and uh, joining in prayer before the service starts, um, you're invited uh, to do so. Um, so I just wanted to give you a heads up on that as well. Um, and then lastly, before we go, we'll say our charge together. So if you want to stand and we will get started on that. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. Oh, the reason one is overcome.